This morning we're reading from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. If this is a familiar passage, I encourage you to reflect on it with fresh eyes and fresh ears. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they, they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Reading God's word. So when I was in college, I uh, had a good friend who was an English major. She wrote a story uh, and asked me to read it and give me thoughts on it. Oh, good, the teenagers are back. I had to sit through all those sermons. And... <laughs> all right. Um, no, not really. Um, the, um, the story that she wrote was great, but I said, you know, it kind of ends with this it leaves you hanging at the end. Like, it's sort of implied what's going to happen at the end of the story, but I really want you to to kind of, like, I wanted to wrap it all up in a neat bow at the end of the story. Like, it's just, it's really well done, but it left me with a sense of tension. And so we kind of went back and forth, and so finally she said, all right, all right. And so she wrote a couple of sentences at the end of the story to kind of wrap it up where you thought the story was going to go, but she didn't actually say it. And so she got back from the English professor a couple of weeks later, and it had a really high mark, and it said, this was a great story, except for those last couple of sentences. It said, I just wish you'd left those off and left me to fill in it for myself. That's what goes when you get an econ major to give an English major advice on a, on a topic. So... Um, the Gospel of Mark in your Bible may or may not end at verse 8, but you probably, most Bibles will have a note that say verses 9 through 20 are not in the earliest manuscripts. And most scholars, whether conservative or not, feel like the, the, the Gospel that Mark originally wrote ended with what Sarah read this morning in verse 8. And it leaves you, like the story, uh, Kathy's story that I read, with this sense of, oh, hold on, really, are we ending there? And most people feel like the other story, the other things that you'll read in those last verses, were not part of the, they, they were true, those things happened, but you'll find that they're stories from Luke, Matthew, or John that 
have probably been put because whoever early readers of that just couldn't bring themselves to leave it. That's what people think. I tend to agree with them from what I've read. Again, I'm going to argue over that, but I think it's quite a reasonable uh, thing to surmise. doesn't make those other verses untrue. It just means they weren't part of the original. R- remember how what Sarah read, how it ended. This is the very end, the, the pinnacle of the gospel, and it says in verse 8, And they, the women who were in the tomb, went out and fled from the tomb, trembling and astonishment and seized them. They said nothing to anyone, and they were very afraid. You get what's not in here, right? Jesus, right? He's not in that, the first eight verses. He's gone. The other Gospels take us to other stories that, of course, the Bible wouldn't have happened if we didn't have those other stories of Jesus appearing, of to people walking on a road, or to his disciples, or you know the interactions that he had. But not in Mark. Apparently, he wanted to leave this with, uh, it's like the end of the song that doesn't quite resolve, you know, and it sort of leaves you with that, I want the next chord, and it's not there. This morning, I want to, to ask you to think about four things with me. I want you to think about the expectation of the people, the three women who came to the tomb that morning, I want you to look at what their perceived problem was, what the real problem was, and then what Mark wants us to push toward as a solution. So that's, those are the things we're going to look at this morning. Expectations. Let me just ask you, what did the three women expect to find when they went to that spot on that morning? What were they intending? What did they think they were going to find? Jesus' dead body, right? Clear, right? Did Jesus give any indication while he was on earth in the Gospel of Mark that they shouldn't expect that? Yes, very clearly. I'll give you just one of several verses, but let's, this is, you know, it's just, the Son of Man must suffer many things, Jesus said. He will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He will be killed and after three days he will rise again. That's pretty clear language, right? Now maybe when they heard that, they thought, eh, cuckoo. Or maybe they thought, metaphor, I, you know. But he had said, and this isn't the only spot, he had said, this, would, this is what you should anticipate. These women, Mary Magdalene, we know, followed from the very early stages. Was that what they were anticipating? Clearly not. There was a tension between what Jesus had said and what the reality of life tends to bring us. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm sympathetic to the fact that once someone dies, I'm anticipating a dead body. Right? Just saying... I have a little book, a little journal, and and over the years I've made notes of things that I've come to think are sort of wisdom truths that I've hard-won truths. Years ago I wrote in this journal, I've I've since modified it, I'll tell you, but my first thing you'll see that it says, the key to happiness is low expectations. (laughs) 
probably early on in my marriage when I was failing as a husband, and I thought, you know what, my wife needs to have lower expectations. (laughs) I eventually crossed it out low, and I put realistic. Realistic expectations are the key to happiness. Because you shouldn't always have low expectations. Sometimes we put the bars too low, anybody can step over it, right? But realistic expectations keep us in a really good frame of mind. There's a great scene from Elf. I know it's the wrong season. It's not Christmas. But there's a great scene from Elf where it's just this little throwaway scene, but Buddy the Elf walks in to a little dive in New York, and it says, world's best coffee on the outside. You know that? And he walks in, he says, guys, congratulations, you did it. And all these guys in the greasy spoon don't even have any idea what he's talking about. He says, world's greatest coffee. And what? He was expecting it to be true. None of them believed it was true, right? They didn't believe they had the world's greatest coffee. It was just a sign on the door. Nobody even paid attention to it. We do that all the time, right? World's best this, what's that, that. Here's my, my hope for the church is that if we put out there Jesus Christ is alive, is it like Buddy the Elf walking in? Or do we just, well, no one really believes. Do you really believe that? Now, if you don't, that's okay. Welcome. You're, you're welcome here. I would invite you to explore it. If you don't believe that, I didn't believe it for a while. There's a time in my life I didn't believe it. So I'm not, no stones from this corner. But can I tell you that it's worth examining? Because if it's true, it is, I think, un, inarguably the most important thing that's ever happened. If a dead guy came back to life, it is truly important. If you, if you just can't bring yourself to believe it, it's, intellectually, I, I understand, I can get that, but I think you're missing life everlasting. If you believe it, however, please don't put the world's best coffee sign on your door. Don't put on the wall of your house, oh, Jesus Christ is alive, and then live like he's dead. That's just, don't do it, please. We're going to look this morning at the expectations of people who were caught between not either not remembering or not believing what Jesus said, and the reality of what life seems to throw at them, which is that death tends to lead to dead bodies. Where were the men in the story? Are there any disciples, any male disciples in these verses? They're not even mentioned. So props to the women who, out of love and devotion, were bringing spices to anoint the dead body. Everybody's expectations were too low. They weren't realistic. If you're measuring, here's what Jesus says, and here's the reality of life such as I understand it. Now you can fill in the gap. This isn't only about death. Jesus said more than just, I will be killed and rise again on the third day. He said a lot more. If you're a Christian, we're faced with the same issue with every promise Jesus gave. Do you believe it? And if you believe it, then live like it. Okay, what's what was their problem? What was the problem they were talking about? Was it, I wonder if we're going to see the body in the tomb, or I wonder if he's going to be there. You know, he did say he was going to rise again on the third day. This is the third day. I wonder if it's going to... They weren't thinking that at all, were they? What was their perceived problem on the way there? The stone. 
it's a problem. I was trying to move stones in my, we're redoing our patio or our, I mean our front walk and I was trying to move one of the stones out. It's not that big a stone. I couldn't physically lift this thing. It's about four inches thick and about three by three and it was just too heavy to even turn over. Stones are heavy. So they're talking like, how, how, how are we going to move the stone? We're going to need to gather people up. What, I mean, we're going to get in there to do the spices for the body. We're going to, I mean, this is a problem. Was it a problem? No, it wasn't a problem, was it? When they got there, the stone was gone. Can I tell you that some of the things in my life and your life that you think are coming that are big problems won't be problems when you get there? You're going to have other problems that you don't see, but may not be the ones you think. What was the what was the real problem? That was the perceived problem that wasn't a problem. By the way, let's just say I, I'm not the first one to say this, but why was the stone removed? Was it to let Jesus out? No, we we learn from the Gospels that resurrected bodies don't have to have the same paths that we have to have. But how are they going to get in? Sometimes God solves your problems so you can enter another problem. Because they had another problem. They walked in to a cave, a grave cave. And here they walk in. And what, what do they experience? Now look, they're already edgy. I get that. You're walking to see a dead body. I don't know how much you know experience they had with that. But that can be a little creepy. In a dark cave, brand, first thing in the morning, no one else around. You walk in. And what do they see? The right side, it says there's a young man. We know it to be a divine being of some sort. It doesn't say angel, some sort of divine being. But it doesn't say that here. It says a young man in white robe sitting on the right side of the cave. So here you are. Just imagine you're walking into a cave anticipating what? A dead body. The perceived problem was gone. But they walk in to face their real problem, which was... Ah, there's a guy sitting on the right-hand side of the cave going, Hey! That's, it's, I mean, I'd be jumpy too. It says they were startled. That's probably an understatement. And they say, he says, Ah, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, right? He isn't here. He's risen. Now the real problem begins. Do you believe it? Do they believe him? They don't know him. I mean, again, we don't know. Maybe Hollywood presents it that, you know, light beams were shining out of him. We don't know. It doesn't say that. It just says there's a young man sitting on the right side who said these words to them in a white robe. Maybe it was. It freaked them out, understandably. Don't be alarmed. Yeah, right. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. We know from earlier story that Mary Magdalene had watched them take the body off the cross and put it. She at least was aware of where they had placed his thing. She was following and sort of watching things unfold when her Lord was crucified. So now the problem is they've got to decide what they do about what is or isn't. See, they don't know. There's no assurance that Jesus was resurrected. They just know he's not there. 
They've got someone else's word to believe. Now you have Jesus saying, I'm going to die and be resurrected on the third day. And now you have a guy saying, he's not here. Now go tell the disciples and Peter, the betrayer, the one who stabbed me in the back, that I want to meet with him. I want Peter to be there. I want all of you all to be there. Go tell him that. So the real problem is, what, what do they believe? What are they going to do with, with this? What did they do? Did it say they went back and they told people? doesn't say that here. Let's just take Mark for what it is. It says, they said nothing to anyone for they were very afraid. Now, we know from other parts of the story that they did eventually tell the disciples and and all that. But Mark leaves us, I think, with the original text, Mark leaves us with a lot of questions unanswered here. For me, as I read this, as one who who has come to believe in the truth of the resurrection and, and who has come to have it change my life over the last almost 50 years now, I come with this question of what what am I going to do with this? This proposition, this claim that a man died and rose again. This is the question. This is the pivotal question that everyone has to answer. What are you going to do with this claim? Because ultimately, if there is no God or let's just say there's no Christian God, there's nothing like this story, then ultimately a lot of things don't matter. We can try to live the best lives we can, and we're gone, and that's it. But the Bible's story, the Bible's narrative, is completely different than that, that this is the pivotal event, the cross and the resurrection is the pivotal event from which, like, think of a stone coming in the water and the ripples go in every direction. The Bible's claim is that when the cross landed in time, ripples went in every direction, forward, sideways, right then, backwards, through to the beginning, and that it set in motion the bringing together of God and people who were separated and allowed us to see that there's ultimately purpose in life and that your life is not some random accident of evolutionary chance but you were created by a loving God that whatever you've done, whatever goes on in your world with all the heartache and sorrow and sin that that we live in, that He made provision to bring you together to know Him. And that the cross stands as the reminder of how God feels about you. And if you say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe dead people come back to life. I don't believe death is the end. It's just nothing. That's one way to live. I would offer you the offer of the gospel, which is it's not the only way to live. There's a way to live that says, I believe this to be true and that the truth of Jesus Christ's life after faith, see, it doesn't come before faith. That's the way he set it up. Once you believe, 
it can begin to change your life. And that if you really do have the world's best cup of coffee, you can shout it loud and it actually tastes good. It's not some glop in a cup. It's new life. It's reality. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is for them was they chose, they had to choose to believe what Jesus Christ had said. We have written some 2,000 years later these words. They had either what they heard or what other people told them if they weren't at that particular message. They had the same issue. They were as skeptical as we are. Sometimes we can think that ancient people were superstitious or ignorant about things like life and death. Can I tell you they weren't? They anticipated the same thing we would, a dead body in a tomb, and they were as surprised as we would be. My invitation is to believe all the things that you come to to see as normal in our world of the uncertainty and the anxiety and the fear and the depression that mark us, I would tell you are not the way God wants it to be. God desires that you be filled with the knowledge that He is alive, that you are created in His image, that you are loved, and that with that, the replacement of the things of this world, of the joy and the peace are possible. But only through believing, only the true solution, which is to believe that what he said was true. I know it seems remarkable. I know it seems hard. But can I tell you that if life isn't working for you, and that ultimately maybe you just think, I I don't know why I'm alive. Can I invite you? into the story. It is the story that will matter, and it will matter when we're taking our last breath as much as it is the breath we're about to take in in a second. It will matter. He told the truth. He's real. I can only tell you, I can't prove it in the laboratory. I can prove it with my life. If you could look into my heart and my life, I can only tell you that from the other side of faith. I can't jump back to the side where I don't believe. I've seen too much to go back now. I don't know if you have or not. And please don't believe me that everything's going to work out perfectly. There'll be no pain. There'll be no sorrow. There will be. That's a promise too. Believe Him. In this world, you will have tribulation. Believe Him. Don't believe there won't be any hardship, but believe he'll walk with you through that. He will be as close to you as a brother. He will never leave you or forsake you. Another promise. Do you believe it? If you do, live like it. If you don't, re-examine. Re-examine why I think there's good evidence for the resurrection. I don't think, even though it's faith involved, I don't think it's brainless. I think you can take your intellect on the other side of your faith. I think there's good reason. You want to ask me why, email me or talk to me, and I'll give you some some things to read that I think will challenge you. I can't convince you. 
That's God's job. But I will plead with you and that life you will not regret taking Jesus Christ in and believing him to be true. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that um, you gave me eyes to see when I was uh, afraid, afraid of death and afraid of uh, what life would look like if there was no God, and you gave me uh, the ability to see. Lord, I pray right now for each person in this room, whether they do believe in you or don't believe in you, would you draw them? If this morning, if you have never believed in Christ, I want to invite you to tell him you do. It's as simple as agreeing with him that he's telling the truth, that you can't get to him without his help, that you've sinned and fallen short. Right now you ask him to come into your life to forgive your sin. If you've known him and if you have trusted in Him at some point, but you know you're not walking with Him, that you have the Jesus sign on the outside, but you don't live like it. You've let sin and this world just beat you down. Then I would invite you to invite Him back in to be the Lord of your life. I'm going to give you a minute right now to just have some quiet to pray to Him in your own words. And if you do invite Him, if you do yield and surrender to Him, and I would challenge you to tell someone, tell me or tell someone that you've done this, Because the decision is just the start of a beautiful journey. Let's pray. I feel like there might be somebody here, and particularly maybe a guy or two, who feel like, man, I do believe, but I just I can't get over the hump of either an intellectual block or I I if you're afraid that if you really go all in with Jesus, if you push all your chips in to the to the table with that poker analogy that somehow you're going to come out regretting it would you please come and talk to me if you feel that way if you think yeah it's me um i I just want to encourage you once again you don't have to live in the pain you don't have to live with the depression you don't have to live with that the lord has come he has risen and with that comes change I encourage you to seek out what God offers to you. Let's stand together.